Hello everyone and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is April the 5th of 2018 and that is it. That is all that is special about today. So, how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing alright. Was that like a joke? Is there something no. special about the 5th of it, April? I don't think anything is special about April 5th in general. It's probably some bullshit day. Like oh no, no, no. Like... Now that I've said that, someone's going to like come at me with all of the, with like the entire list of things that are special about april 5th from the wikipedia article or something well, like I that i assumed it was going to be even Wait, more let's look, like let's look at what google's special page is today nothing i mean i assume people see gonna be like, i was right <laughs> there's gonna be somebody out there who's gonna be like holy shit don't you know it's fucking national corn dog day or some bullshit like that there's always some appreciation day for like nonsense like it's mailman appreciation day don't you know holy shit there is a national corn dog day of course there is. This is a fucking holiday for everything. Ah, it was March 17th. Okay. We missed it. We'll have to hold on to it for next year. What are you going to do? Nick, guess what? I got big news. Uh, what's up? Guess who got employee of the month at his movie theater job. Was it you? It was me. It only <laughs> took me near 30 no, years of life. No. <laughs> it only took me nearly 30 years of my life to finally get credited by somebody as being like, you're doing a good job. And I got a pin for it. And a, yeah, yeah. my name will be on a plaque that will probably outlive me. Hey, I've never gotten an employee of the month, so good, good on you, dude. Yeah, I'm super happy about it, I suppose. <laughs> it's very much like a, hmm, all right, fair enough. Is there a monetary benefit? There is $25. Sweet. Cool. But I'm really letting it go to my head now. I assume I'm the best employee that ever existed, and I'm really coasting on it now. Like, now a customer comes up, they're like, one ticket, and I'm like, $8. Like, here's a 20. I'm like, how about seven back? They're like, that's not the right amount of change. I'm like, is it? I don't know. Like, no, it's not. Give me my money. Excuse me. Did you get employee of the month? <laughs> yeah, like, I think I would know. They're like, being employee of the month doesn't mean you get to change how math works. I'm like, <laughs> manager Terrence Howard, she's disobeying the rules she made. He's like, who's disobeying the rules that I set up out there? Terrence Howard, you just talk like that in your normal everyday life? <laughs> yes, I do. Everything's a rise and escalation. <laughs> okay. So, we're going to talk about manga today, guys. Um, that's really it. <laughs> we'll talk about a lot of it. Yeah, I'm All actually. Kinds of I don't know. I just realized as we started this up that I'm actually kind of in the weird sort of days. But usually, you know, what happens when that happens is that we do this podcast and then it wakes me up. So let's just do that. All right, so we're gonna kick right off with the recap portion, weekly manga recap, with My Hero Academia, with uh, Deku still trying to stop Gentle in number 177 at the construction site. Which takes place at a construction site. Whoa, cool. Although that's a very definite article, the construction site. Are there no other construction sites in the world of my hero? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe they can only Maybe. have one going on at a time. That's how they can localize fight to it and yeah. make it safer. I like how we get this little special introduction panel for the random old man who is simply named Random Old Man. It's a good it's a good introduction for him. I also enjoy the fact 
that this character manages to first take on one of my most hated pet peeves about something, but he doesn't follow it, which is I hate when characters and something when something crazy is happening around him. A character explains the way is like, they must be filming a movie when like dinosaurs are attacking a city. They're like, they must just be filming out here in this residential area with no cameras. And like, that's what La Brava does. And the old guy's like, hold on, I have more questions. (laughs) When is it airing on TV? (laughs) I'm suspicious immediately. I need to add it to my Netflix queue. Yeah, he's like, is it better than Wild Wild Country or not? Because I really want to find out if that cult makes it. Do you... What did you... Wait, tell me how the, when the next season of The Good Place is going to be on... <laughs> he's like, is Jessica Jones season three out yet? I'm like, no, season two just came out. I don't like season two. Did you watch it? No, I just hate all second seasons. <laughs> The second season of Daredevil was not nearly as good. Why should I think the season two of anything else is? They're like, well, I mean, there's some shows out there that definitely improve upon with their second season. I can think of only one. Bill Nye saves the world. <laughs> like, what a weird show to state had a better second season than the first. <laughs> Seriously, nobody likes season two of The Wire. I mean, stupid fucking Ziggy Kid. Good God. I was like, did I watch The Wire so I'd see a bunch of white people with their problems? No! God damn it, Mahoma! I need to be more woke! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, LeBrava excuses to the random old man that they are just shooting for a movie, which, since she's holding a camera, fair enough. Or a TV show, I think. Fighting with inside of the construction site... Except, no, it immediately comes to a stop because right after Deku is like, oh, everything worked out great. I'm so thankful to Hatsume for making this gauntlet that helps me to you know, redirect my air blast. And also all that training that I did with Ashido helped me get my body into the proper position so I could launch my attack. And then, he, you know, he lands and he looks up and Gentle is hanging from his coat off of a girder. The most, in the most dignified way he probably possibly can, honestly. He looks like he's just, you know, just kind of like, casually chilling out and posing but he's very very undignifiedly uh hanging there yeah um but not too long after that after you know gentle gives this very big speech like oh i shall see this plan through he's like please don't tell anyone about this please just let me do this come on leave me alone please Come on, Deku, and, be cool. Uh, For once in your life, be cool. <laughs> You're super lame looking, I can tell. You don't have you don't even have an awesome mustache like me. Yes, Nick, we get it. <laughs> you have facial hair too, shut up. I do. Actually, the thing that always weirds me out whenever we get different angles of Gentle's face is his beard more than his mustache. It's it's a very odd beard. It's like it's like he's wearing some sort of bit on his chin. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but after reasoning with Deku seems to fail, uh, Gentle just decides that, uh, okay, well, I'm just going to leave this guy behind. And uh, he uses his elastic powers to make the air underneath him elastic so he can bounce up, get himself off of the girder. And then he just basically turns every single girder that he touches into elastic so he can bounce around 
uh, and Deku can't get a bead on him. Um, in fact, he's doing that things uh, at times where he's even bouncing off of the air as well. And uh, when Deku tries to launch a, an air blast at him, uh, he completely misses and then it bounces back at him. So that's fun. Then Gentle does something pretty dickish because he points out that one of the girders that he's bounced on, uh, it, he can't actually can return to its original state. So it's wobbling back and forth. And as it's doing that, it's slowly regaining its rigidity. And he's also removed the bolts from it. So it's going to fall on top of the Red Moon Man! No! I haven't gotten to find out if I enjoyed Season 2 of Fuller House yet! I most likely won't! But we haven't seen yet! <laughs> is it because it's a Season 2? Or because it's Fuller House? Hey, Fuller House is incredible in its own way. That's one way of putting it. It's a very digestible show. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe he also hates reboots, too. He's just like, new Queer Eye? What happened to the old Queer Eye? They're like, it aired. And then it didn't. <laughs> and now there's it, a new one. This is how reboots out, work. It turned out one of them wasn't actually gay. Did it? <laughs> Pretty sure. Huh. I don't know. I must not have heard about that. That sounds like a big controversy. This is like <laughs> how dare they? This is like nilly vanilly level controversy or milli, nilly even. No, that's not the name. Millie vanilly. Hold on, Billy vanilly. Yeah, Millie vanilly. Okay, I'm right. Yes, I think that I. I think that, that was just a rumor. Actually, I don't. I think that that might be wrong. Okay, queer. Because I, I just tried looking it up. And, because I just tried looking it up and I can't find anything. So I think that I was just a rumor I heard. Straight? Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> Exclamation point? Hey! It's not on there. Yeah. Anyway, the girder falls down and Deku has to reposition himself underneath it. He's really upset, obviously. And Jed is like, how dare you do such a thing? Uh, when he catches it, he's like, how you were going to crush that old man? And Jed is like, heavens no. I knew you would catch it in order to protect him. Anyway, bye! Uh, and uh, his getaway is uh, attempt is very interesting because he grabs a nearby crane and bends it down using his powers in order to launch himself into the air. And he's like, hey, you know, just I'm just going to delay you there long enough for me to go and succeed in my plans. And, you know, whatever. Uh, Deku is struggling underneath the I-beam and... Uh, we cut away very briefly to everyone preparing for the festival. Uh, Bakugo apparently just owns like this nice party shirt or something, which he's trying to I guess was going to wear to the concert. And they're like, no, put on the T-shirt that we made. It's got an A on it. Uh, I want to note something. I hate the outfits that the dance team have. Because at first I was like, oh, it's kind of like this weird midriff thing or something like that. But if you look at Uraraka, hers looks dark in the middle too. So I thought that was just kind of like Ashido's skin color. But I think they're just both dark. So the idea is like, it's like, I guess, a sh like a sheer bodysuit of some kind underneath that. It just seems really weird. I don't know why. I can't like explain. Like they're wearing like some sort of spandex underneath 
the yeah, actual like, dress. Like, I can't think of it without thinking they're both wearing, like, the Green Man costume. Where, like, just, like, a really big poodle skirt and, like, a half shirt. And I'm like, that looks awful. Oh, no, I guess we'll have to wait until the anime comes out, Chris. <laughs> yeah. New season airing soon. Hot dog. Someone, a friend of mine at work critiqued me. Season threes are even worse than season twos. <laughs> no, he turns around. He loves season threes. He's like, season three of everything was better. <laughs> it's always a up, down, up, down. <laughs> it's like the Star Trek rule, but backwards. <laughs> well, it's like the new Star Trek rule. Because isn't that the way it goes? First Star Trek was good. Into Darkness sucked. And Whatever the third one was. Good. Yeah. 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 But nobody saw it. <laughs> what were you saying your friend was saying about something? My friend commented on the fact, I don't know, maybe I say this a lot, but I say hot dog. I said, like, hot dog today. And he was like, you got that from fucking, uh, well, he didn't say fucking because he's very religious. But uh, uh, it's a wonderful life. Because I guess in it, there's like that match thing, like when you make a wish and you light the match. So it's like, I wish for a million dollars. And he lights it and it, it lights up and he's like, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I didn't, don't, I don't think I got it from there, but I'm always going to use it as though I got it from there. Hot dog. <laughs> well, you had to do it with the sweet innocence of like an 11 year old child. Hot dog. Like and a kid. 11 like year old the children aren't innocent. What are you talking about? <laughs> Well, it was for the 50s, so he, he wasn't oh. at that point. So all of the devil behavior was buried underneath a veneer of uh, denial yeah. and a belief in the perfection of humans and society in general because everyone, uh, you know, denied women and black people rights. Okay, gotcha. Absolutely. Hot dog! Everything's great in my life! <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So people are wondering what the fuck's going on with Deku because, like, he's taking a while to get some goddamn rope, isn't he? And Aoyama makes his worried face, which is. I assume that is his wor worried face, I guess. Um, then we cut back to Gentle and Labrava trying to bounce away. Uh, and Deku's like, no, I must stop. And he just kind of does the Spider-Man thing, you know, lifts the weight. And then he lifts it up with one hand so that he can shoot a blast with his free hand and then puts the steel beam down. And I'm sitting here thinking like, why didn't you just put it down right away? <laughs> you could have done it at any time, Deku. <laughs> I know it looks cooler for you to do this, but just. <laughs> you didn't need to freaking bench it. Or what, what is it? What is that even called? Power, I don't even know what that's lift, called. Essentially. You, didn't, you didn't need to do a, a freaking power lifter thing with it. It was very impressive, but you didn't need to do it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, it doesn't hit gentle, but uh, it basically, you know, demonstrates that Deku is still coming after them. So Labrava realizes the danger that they're in, that uh, Deku's not going to give up. And so she says that she better use her quirk. Uh oh, that sounds dangerous. 
So I'm interested to see this. I, I can't believe I didn't even consider the fact like, oh, yeah, she probably has a quirk that she might have used in order to help dental at some points during their time together. Duh. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious to see what it is. Uh, I'm still not entirely certain what direction all of this is going in. I'm super into it. I'm super digging it. But I'm also, like, at that point. Because it seems like Deku's sort of reached this point where he's like, you know, this gentle guy is talented, but I will fuck him up. Like, after everything I've been through, it's not, I'm not going to hang around and just lose. I, I'm, I'm going after this guy. Yeah. So, I'll be curious to see if Brava activating her quirk is something gentle's, you know, kosher with. You know, is that something that she generally does? Mm-hmm. Or has done before to help out? Is her quirk something really dangerous like his quirk's dangerous but not in like an insane way but is her something like i fucking eviscerate bones or some shit like that (laughs) so i'll be curious to see really what comes out of that his is a fun kind of dangerous yeah (laughs) hers is uh all your bones are cookies now She's and she person. actually uses that power properly. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I could use this on everybody all See, the time. See, the thing is, I can actually imagine how my body can handle your power. Yeah, it's pretty easy, actually. <laughs> all you have to do is, you know, imagine it. Never stop hating Grammy. Okay. Uh, it was a cool little, act, little, bit, little moment for Deku, but... Um, it's not. I, I I wasn't quite as blown away by it as I was the previous one. I still am very impressed by Gentle in terms of his his character, the kind of uh, variation between his threat level and also and just his silly personality. And also, I think that his power is still really cool. So I like it definitely in the sense that I I enjoy really that they've managed to find a way to turn this whole dance team competition to something that was actually beneficial for Deku. It really felt like something that was almost kind of just tacked on, but still really emphasized a lot when it was just supposed to be like he needs to be on stage at some point to like show off to Aerie and be like, hey, I'm at this festival or whatever. But then being like, oh, you learn these dance moves actually can help you be a, mo- a more agile and mobile fighter is something that I'm like, OK, I dig that. I love, you know, Deku has grown from this beyond just getting a gauntlet that automatically fixes shit for him. Mm-hmm. It's one of those kind of things where, you know, you you acquire a series of fighting styles in order to master your own, but a different way of doing it. <clears throat> okay, let's go on to Food War Shokugeki no Soma 257, How to Build a Specialty with Gang Warfare uh, cover page for some reason. It's time to start shit. Um, I, I continue to be kind of like weirded out by some of the choices in dialect that some of the characters in Chuck no Soma demonstrate. You know, I, I still think it's weird, for example, that Alice is a valley girl. Uh, it just, you know, doesn't come up as much. But Soma using the phrase, now it's on, is a little weird to me for some reason. It's going to step up to the streets. Nick, that's because he's a cool 90s kid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great idea. (laughs) Um, So people, of course, are like, I wonder what kind of dish that Soma's going to make. 
Azami does a pretty typical spiel. It's like, there is no way that someone of his current level can overcome Sukasa. Flashback! Um, because uh, <laughs> everyone realizes, wait, didn't you guys have a, a, a planning session before all this? Did, did you accomplish anything during that? <laughs> And we get a bit more detail from what happened during the playing session, which was a lot of arguing. And I love the way that Soma phrases this, because he's like, I'm going to be all like, well, bam, and make a super awesome main dish like this one. <laughs> just He has what? no tact for it. He just knows. He essentially describes things as I would when I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just going to be like, yeah, Nick, so I'll just go in there and I'll cook some stuff. I'll be like, wham, blam. And it'll be like, pow, all up in their mouth and stuff. He turns into Chef Emerald for this. Bam. Bam. So, um, I like how, this is, uh, I can't even tell why. But, like, um, Takumi and Megumi are obviously really nervous slash disappointed uh, by this behavior between the two of them. And Ishiki's just standing there in his fucking loincloth like a dope going, ah. I fucking hate Ishiki. Like, that's just serious. Like, I'm like, they have no idea what's happening. He's just like, ha, 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 ha. No, you're the goddamn older fucking adult here. Well, you're kind of adult. You're an example and keep order. That's why you were allowed to stay. <laughs> so someone's like here I'll whip these up for you and make you understand that I should have the main dish and he's like look here's the dish that made Master Shinomiya acknowledge my talent and here's the dish that knocked Kuga Senpai's booth for a loop uh, and of course they pulled you know, that Japanese humor thing that was like I don't know why but for some reason I feel as though I'm, I should be angry at Soma for something yeah. um so he presents the the two dishes, uh, you know, the, the quail and the curry noodles. And he says, these are basically the two best recipes I've got right now. So you could consider them my specialties. Plus, they're new and improved. So and he's like, yeah, once you try these out, you'll know that they should be the main dish. And Aaron just, just launches into this long spiel. He's like, I can see why, you know, they were impressed by this. But no, this isn't good. This isn't good. This is good. This needs to be improved by this. So, look, in order to be when we should actually go with the best dish that we've got as the main dish, which is why I should do it because I am objectively better than you. <laughs> I love that there, there's this such a contrast between them while they're still being just as childish as the other. You know, someone is, looks like an immature idiot and Ariana looks like she's composed and smart and better. But they're both saying the same thing in the same way, basically. Like, Arena even points out, like, hey, I was the 10th C in the Council of Ten. You're just an average student. <laughs> As if this isn't the guy who freaking changed her life with his cooking, uh, like, a month ago. <laughs> and who's already beaten the fourth seat on the Council and things like that. As though, like, the seats are the firm representative just of Just an average student. <laughs> But someone doesn't point this out and say he's just like, well, you quit the council, so you're just an average student, too. <laughs> oh, God. They get really fed up with each other. Arena kind of storms out to get some fresh air. Um, and Soma is left with Takumi and Ishiki. Uh, and he thinks like, huh, 
I can't seem to convince her about anything. We might have to sell this with just rock, paper, scissors, <laughs> which, of course, they end up doing. But so can we, uh, Ishiki rather points out, like, hey, if you have the rock, paper, scissors match, though, won't you have to, you know, actually go ahead and prepare that appetizer? And so it was like, yeah, I guess I probably would. <laughs> um, but uh, kind of on an unrelated topic, uh, Soma ends up saying, hey, why are they why are they saying that Nakiri is the key? Um, and Ishiki says, yeah, well, the Azami administration means to take advantage of her divine tongue because that's the ultimate skill. It is what they will use in order to achieve their goal of true gourmet. And uh, so someone's like, huh, light bulb. I can be a douchebag with this information. <laughs> So what he proceeds to do over the over the course of several pages is just it just have her taste individual components of the of whatever dish that he's trying to make so that he can fine tune it. This is equated to as if he is tuning a guitar uh, in mid performance, which I guess. Sure. But uh, I don't know anything about music or about food. So I mean, I get the food part. I, I can easily understand mm-hmm. that. The I understand the notion of tuning a guitar, but like, is there a device that does that specifically? I thought you kind of had to like. I know there's things you could be like that's that note or whatever. You can get there's a tuning fork uh, that you can do for that, and there is some sort of an electronic equivalent to that that you can use as well. uh, Particularly if you're using like an electric guitar. I I just I like the idea of him running over and he just keeps shoving food into her mouth. And she's like, that's fine. That's good. And he's just like the perfect dish. Now she said all of it was okay. (laughs) Individually, the components were good. (laughs) Now to put my perfect ice cream together with my perfect hot sauce, (laughs) which is a thing that he would do. Damn. Yeah. That's what he's going to do. Isn't it? (laughs) Um, but there's this brief moment after, uh, after he starts doing this where he just goes, you know, if you're going to take advantage of what Nakiri can do as a key, as your key or whatever, then what's wrong with my taking advantage of her as well? Everyone's like that. God damn it. Soma, you're such an asshole. But I like this, getting these little reminders every now and then that Soma's not the nicest dude in the world. He's a, he's a selfish, egotistical prick. He just, you know, does the right thing occasionally. Um, so I like getting that little moment from him. So we get that for a bit. And Aaron realizes a, a, a little bit of a problem with this, which is we did actually agree that whoever would win, we would go with a set one of a set of combinations together so that we would still have a structured, you know, presentation but I get the feeling that he's actually making spontaneous changes to the instructions that I gave him so that he can still influence what we're doing. And sure enough, she sees him manipulating some sort of grains together around his dish. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he presents his dish. We don't see it yet. But everyone's like, what the fuck is that? And Soma says, here's a tasty appetizer for you. Which leads me to believe... He hasn't presented a actual appetizer. What do you think he put out there? 
So, what do you think he put out there, Nick? Well, it looks like he put he put together some some sort of like a bun thing. Um, maybe not necessarily like a full bun, but the kind of thing that has you know, um, like the coating of you know, uh, crust around it, so that you could hold it in your hand and eat it. Um, like a stromboli. Sure, or a calzone, something like that. Yeah, now I kind of want a calzone. <laughs> Had a calzone last night. Calzones are pretty good. Mm. Although now I can't. Now that I've watched all of Parks and Recreation, I can't think of calzones without thinking of that show. So that's not a bad show to have to think about when you're eating them. I don't know what to really say on this chapter. Uh, I mean, I I dig it. It's Soma being Soma, where. He just has a, a anarchist kind of attitude to everything where it seems like even though he has to take the appetizer part, it still seems like he's setting out something that's trying to go above and beyond that. Um, I do like his you know, idea of like basically using Arena's skill as a way to fine tune his own dish. I think that's kind of a clever twist. Um, but also... It helps that it really does seem like Arina will get at least the final punch in this fight sort of thing when she serves her dish. You know, whatever he does, no matter how good or isn't it's, you know, it is, uh, she still has to serve something last. So, you know, I guess we'll see off that. I have no idea what he put out, though. But I guess he has a specialty now. So we'll see how this works out for them, I guess. I'm also curious to see what the hell Ariana makes because we've seen her make so few dishes still to this point. But Okay, let's go on ahead to... Ziga. For a little bit. Um, I... I'm checked out of this series, honestly. You had such high hopes! I did! And now it's... They just have this, like, it's like, okay, everyone he knows is dead, and we just jump ahead past all the training and stuff, and he's just some kind of arrogant new hotshot agent, whatever, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I I read through bits and pieces of it, and I was kind of just like, I'm surprised it took this little time to kind of almost push it into the exact formula way too many battle series do, which is like, get the kid to join a new military-esque organization that specializes on fighting the, you know, whatever super powerful threat this universe is involved in, and have a run-in with, like, several of the higher-ups before as he kind of beats his team and shows everybody that he is the most special of all the units, uh, you know, in this point in time. You know, it's, it like... This is very much what Jujutsu Kaisen did, but that one from the onset kind of established that's kind of the direction they were going in. Uh, this one started off as being like, we're going to be a kaiju manga. And it's like, cool, what are you going to do in your early chapters? Like, well, we're going to show one monster, and then we're going to just go right into military training. I'm like, okay. That's the worst part of any kind of monster fighting series. Like, I watched Pacific Rim, and I was like, you know it would be great? If they cut out all of this military shit and just had more robots fighting monsters, that's what this needed. It's impossible to avoid comparisons between this series and Attack on Titan. 
because, you know, giant monsters invading and, you know, many agents trying to find ways to fight them. And obviously the methods that they're going to go about that are different. The setting is completely different because it's actually set in you know, modern Japan as opposed to in this weird future where after humanity has collapsed and everything like that. But it really seems as though when you compare the two that Ziga has very much neglected the buildup of the character in growing their skills. When, when you, you know, met Eren and Mikasa and Armin at the beginning of Attack on Titan, there was at one there was all, there was also, you know, more emphasis placed on, you know, the hopelessness of their situation and the horror of seeing their family murdered. Um, and then when they actually tried to join the military, there was more put into the process of the struggles that they went through and stuff like that. This just kind of skipped all that. Uh, and you could, you don't necessarily have to do the same type of series the exact same way. But it does seem like a really sudden jump to go f- to... I mean, the first two, the first chapter you get like, okay, his girlfriend is dead. And then you establish like, this is the way that he has to fight the monsters. And then the, this chapter, it just goes right from, by the way, your mom is also dead. <laughs> and now he's a sp- super special agent who swings his coat over his shoulders because he's such a badass. Like, there is a tremendous amount of missed stuff that happened right there. So I wonder it if, really lost to me. If part of that too might have been an editorial decision like let's 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 pick this up at pace you know the first two chapters aren't boding too well why don't we try moving into what the series is going to be about the the grand scheme of things i don't know i think like a kaiju manga really could be successful but i like the thing that interests me about kaiju is the giant monsters and them fighting like it almost seems like the main character needs to almost have the exact same kind of power as you know, uh, whatever his name is from Attack on Titan, where he turns into a giant monster and fights him. The idea of, like, a military fighting giant monsters just is boring as shit to me. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, if you have enjoyed any of the jump starts that we have gotten in the last several weeks, then be sure to fill out the response survey that Viz puts out every single week and let them know. Uh, you will have an opportunity to rank them at the top. And hey, maybe in the next few weeks, one of the three series that we have been talking about will get picked up. And maybe we'll be forced to actually talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like we did with Robot Laser Beam. Wait. <laughs> hey, Black Clover. What about that? <clears throat> All right. Let's talk about Dr. Stone. It's time to get Stone! I think we did this joke already. Hold on, wait. It's time to get stoned. I don't know. Roman reigns. Z equals 52. Age of energy. So this begins with uh, Senku kind of reestablishing the time frame that they have to work with, which uh, Sukasa also reiterates when we kind of cut over to his group, uh, which is that everything they're going to be trying to accomplish, they need to get done within a few months. Uh, they have to do their s- cell phone technology. They have to, the village has to prepare for winter. And Sukasa is preparing to, at the end of winter, to attack. 
So they have to be ready to go uh, pretty quickly. Um, and in order to uh, basically establish that they know that, that this is Sukasa's plan, Gen says, hmm, I'll just try thinking like dear Sukasa. And he, he just tilts his head and his entire face and hair transforms randomly and braids itself and turns. Well, he doesn't do this with his hands. He just tilts his head and just his hair and face turn into Sukasas. <laughs> hey, I haven't had that before, Nick, where you just do like the shushuk and you just look completely different. <laughs> there you go. Who is this new tilted glasses person? Talk with a weird accent. I won't know who you are. Oh, no, no, I don't know it. Hey, guys, it's us. It's me with uh, Australian Rick. So. Oh, he's not playing along. All right. They do this. And yeah, sure enough, they also cut it over to Sukasa, which and he says, we'll end this right after winter ends. Uh, but then they're like, well, what about Taiju and Yuzuriha? You know, they, won't they be in danger? And then Yoga's like, what about Taiju and Yuzuriha? And Sukasa says, oh, keep an eye on them. But, you know, come on. Even if they're moles, they don't have any way of communicating with their ally. They don't know that Senku is alive. So, you know, just keep an eye on them and more importantly than that just make sure that we don't get preemptively attacked by senku and Hyoga's like unfortunately even if she does get us word ahead of time there will be a delay in communication in this sort of primitive warfare a means of communication could easily turn the tide <laughs> it's that was like almost a way too on the nose sentence of just like did is he also reading the manga does he know what's happening <laughs> <laughs> It's my favorite series. <laughs> I love this Doctor I'm Stone. in it. Look. <laughs> Look how cool I am. Uh-oh, I don't realize how important cell phones are yet. I'm going to, though. <laughs> Senku um, holds up, like, an imaginary cell phone, which I have to admit confused me when I first saw this image because you can see, you know, the pattern of his hands and his face behind it. And I was like, did he just, was he just like carrying around a broken cell phone? Oh, it's not how, really that. How does it still have power? <laughs> it's does, been thousands of years. The icons work without electricity? <laughs> <laughs> did he just put a sticker over it? A sticker that also cracked? <laughs> it's a cracked sticker. Uh, we get some more uh, making cotton candy. Uh, which leads to a joke, uh, specifically a Mori Sukomi uh, joke, which is a type of comedy in Japan. Anyway, uh, and because the cotton candy is not perfect, basically. Uh, so eventually, uh, Ginro gets frustrated and says, like, why are we making all this cotton candy? What do we care so much about this for? Uh, and it, pretty much everyone like has gotten it aside from him. And Gen's like, yeah, if the cotton candy is lumpy and inconsistent, that means the gold wire would be as well. So before we actually use the gold on this, we actually have to figure out what's wrong with our device. Um, so, you know, all the important characters in the scientific kingdom are kind of gathered around it. And they witness Kinro and Ginro doing their back and forth uh, grinding with it. And for some reason, Chrome points at someone's eye when he realizes what's wrong. I don't know why he does that. Uh, I don't know. 
Also, you can basically tell what his fing- what his fingerprint is by looking at that. This is a very well manicured cuticle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, on. he's a nerd. Nerds don't. But they always, realize nerds don't always have the best grooming. What are you talking about? All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so they realize that at the moment when they have to reverse directions when they're winding it, it slows down, and thus that creates an inconsistent texture. And I love the interaction that we get as they kind of trade ideas on this because Kohaku is just like, can't you guys do it more smoothly? You know, use your special brotherly bond in order to accomplish this. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that they think of. Like, we could use a really long rope. Oh, we could use, we could use the generator that we've got over there. But it's not working. None of that would actually work. Senku shoots basically all the ideas down. Um, and eventually the former chief says, like, you know, if we dedicate all this manpower to this stuff, you know, that's going to take time away from the village prepping for winter. So that's going to be a problem, too. Uh, so Seku realize, decides, OK, we've got to come up with some other method that would, you know, actually work. It'll take a time and effort and we'll need, you know, Kaseki to basically make something. Um, but he comes up with uh, a set of gears. Uh, he carves out the, uh, one. And then he's like, and also, and we can use the other gear uh, to, made from uh, Kohaku's shield, which they establish a bit of a, a little bit of background uh, briefly before that happens, because the chief freaks out about this uh, because they're like, oh, wait, that is the chief's hard won prize that he gave to Kohaku as a gift. He won it when he won, won the tournament in order to become chief. And there's like a little flashback of him giving the, the shield to like a baby Kohaku. And he's so happy. And he's like, oh, no, I don't mind. It's just a silly old treasure. It's really up to my darling Kohaku and Kagusa. No, I don't care. We got to use it. <laughs> she got like a little kitty mouth as she's like, utility is king. And she just starts like nailing shit into it. And just I'm like, why? No, my bond with my daughter. <laughs> oh, it does break my heart. It's okay. He'll get his peanuts. Oh, but will he get his daughter? So. In the form of peanuts. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Not sure if gross. So they uh, took this thing up and uh, Kinro just start Kinro rather starts spinning. It. He's like, oh, yeah, great. We, you can just go continuously in one direction. I could do this all day. Just spin it and spin it and spin it. And, uh, and that causes it to uh, rotate the con candy very consistently. And all of a sudden, uh, Chrome realizes, like, wait a minute, pushing something continuously in one direction. And he gets a little spark. And uh, so he drags off Kaseki to explain the idea. Kaseki gets so excited about the idea that his clothes burst off, which is prone to happen to him. They go off to work on something. Meanwhile, they need to braid the strings of gold wire together that they've been working on. And Kaku is like, oh, okay. how much of this stuff do we need? Uh, Enough that would take us from here to that mountain over there. And uh, they get like. This gets like full on bug out eyes from Kaku and Suika, which must have been painful for Suika because that's sticking through glass lenses. It just melts around it, you know. You know, it just kind of stretches out like rubber. So we get a bit of a montage. Uh, a bunch of the kids and old people are braiding the gold together. Uh, we get a kind of silhouetted shots of Kaseki and Chrome working on their uh, their project. And uh, several days pass, and Chrome is like, it took three days and nights, but we're done. And he takes them to a water wheel that they've set up in the nearby stream. 
water wheel. Water wheel. And uh, Kaseki's like, yeah, we used the iron tools in order to do this. It would have been way more troublesome to do otherwise. And Chrome's like, yeah, this is revenge for rocking my world with the magnets. And Senko's like, oh, it's a water wheel. And they're like, god damn it, of course he knows what it is. Shit. I love Kaseki's uh, invention name for it, though. The contraption that keeps the cotton candy coming. (laughs) I like that he already has, like, a very perfect idea of what the purpose of this device is. He's like, it makes the cotton candy keep coming. (laughs) They're like, well, we could do a lot of other things, but it better make sure the cotton candy keeps (laughs) coming. It better be fucking cotton candy that comes out of this, I tell you what. I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but with this, hey, they, they've got, you know, a freaking hydroelectric dam. So he said they set up the, they hook up the generator to the water wheel. And holy shit, Senku freaking, this shot of Senku wielding electricity together looks so cool to, to end the chapter. It is uh, I love this visual cool image, yes. So a really, really fun chapter. Uh, I, I love all of the little character interaction bits, uh, and I feel like, I don't know, I feel like this is actually Dr. Stone's greatest strength is just the way, the ability to kind of just string effective small moments together. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it does a big moment, great. But I think that that's what I like most about it is just is that in this chapter where not a whole lot happens up until the very end, it feels like there's a lot of great moments leading up to it. So well, we have a lot of humor. You know, you have uh Gin or Gen doing his thing with like shooking up the hair, and then you have, you know, a whole moment with uh, Kohaku's shield and her dad. You know, you have all these little moments here and there that help, but it's also kind of cool just to see like moments when Chrome really shows off his devotion and talent, and those those, you know, moments where you just see like, oh, like despite the fact that he's almost like just an apprentice version of of Senku. He's such like a devoted character in of himself that it, it, he's still like wholly individual in and of himself. Yeah, you know, like this would be like if you were watching Ice Shield, the backup quarterback on Senku, like on the Double Bats, was just as interesting as you know Haruma was. You'd be like, that's weird. What? That's really impressive. What Senna was pretty interesting, Chris. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> uh. All right. I should not have been so proud of myself for that. <laughs> you seem to be very proud. Let's move on. He was the backup quarterback, it turned out. <laughs> he was. All right. Let's move on to question 57 of We Never Learn. A genius's new look lands at X's blind spot. And it's a color page on it with uh, Ogata. And her jean shorts are riding up her ass, which I have to imagine is an extremely painful thing. Denim. Above all else, should not ride up and wedgie you like that. I'm more concerned about the poor girl's spine because oh, that's she's gone. full Escher girl in, in this shot. Just <laughs> She's gone. She's, she's dead, I assume. She is dead. It doesn't matter where the jean shorts go now. True that. So this chapter begins with Fumino having discussion with this is a this is a uh, a joke page to go along with the color page, it but is. it is related to the rest of the chapter. But it's also so, like I guess believed to be somewhat canon because it is the premise of the chapter. That's why beginning. Ogata goes to a salon. So it yeah. is, it's it's kind of like 
that panel in the Sunday strip that would sometimes show up, but sometimes wouldn't. So they would have to make related to the rest of it, but also non-essential to the rest of it. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a joke about how she cuts her own hair and uh, Uega's like, oh, my sister cuts my hair and she's apparently like a super awesome hair cutter. I don't know. The potential, the, the entire story here, though, is that Ogata usually cuts her own hair, but Firmino kind of encouraged her, like, hey, go to a salon, treat yourself, get it done professionally. More Parks and Rec references. <laughs> and she goes to a salon that is, of course, owned by, like, a super fantastic artiste of a salon like owner who's just waiting for the perfect quote-unquote uncut diamond to come in ogata does she's super beautiful and is thus this new artist's muse so she's gonna do all these crazy things she's like i'm gonna put hair extensions on you i'm gonna give you clothes for my personal collection i'm gonna get you perfume all this shit and it's all gonna be free basically you know, I'm only going to charge you the regular costs because you are the muse that I have been looking for. And the entire time, her assistant's just like, uh, do you think this is a good idea? It's just like, no, she is the clay that which I was born to mold. And you're like, okay, I, this is another one of those like conveniences of we never learned that you just kind of have to accept almost right, the joke. Well, this would this this premise could not possibly come about without this bizarre set of circumstances. But when you see it all play out, it's like, no, nah, I buy it. And in, <laughs> in this world, I could see her discovering this weird because all the adults in we never learn are more fucked up than the kids. So, <laughs> yeah, the kids are always the one who are just like, what's happening? And uh, obviously, this is only this is going to be the only time in this chapter that you're just like, really, this is the contrivances we needed to continue this plot along. So she is looking really great, and she's going to be meeting uh, with Yueka. And she mentions that she's going to be meeting someone because her her fucking muse is like, you have a crush on a boy, and she's like, I'm going to go meet with one. So that's why she's going all out. So Yueka's at the library when Ogata shows up. And she says, oh, excuse me, because she has new hair, new extensions, a new sexy outfit. She's not wearing her glasses. She's wearing contacts. So she looks completely different. I give I have to give the, the artist credit. Like when you know it's Ogata, you can definitely tell it's her because, you know, her the shape of her face is all the same. Uh, but at the same time, she does look completely different. Yeah. In, but in believable ways, too. You know, it's not like you just like randomly transform. It's like, OK, you know, you had the hair extensions, style the, the actual hair differently, wear a different outfit, put in contacts. And yeah, you could believe that that transformation could take place to the point that you would get to recognize her. So it gave her a purse, too. She really gave that fucking girl everything. It's crazy. <laughs> also, don't you think it's kind of worrisome that that woman has a dress in her collection that fits a like tremendously busty but tiny girl <laughs> yeah like an incredibly busty but yeah deliberately small maybe she was maybe her maybe she was way shorter and bustier in her youth chris you don't know <laughs> that is true that could be a real reality why would she keep that dress i guess is the question but whatever she could have also fitted it differently you know that so. is true i don't know how clothes work in general situations so uh but uega doesn't recognize it's her He's like, who's this beautiful girl who's sitting next to me? And she smells so good. Ah, but there's so many empty seats. Why is she sitting here? Oh, is she trying to hit on me? (laughs) 
And she, you know, he kind of like, he's like, all right, well, I'll just turn away and, you know, not pay attention to her and focus on studying. And Ogata's like, are you okay? Your face is all flushed. Are you wearing a fever? And I do like that, you know, he's like, oh, she is hitting on me. And in her mind, she's already calculating. She's like 36.4 degrees. No, that's normal. No fever. Like her hand is an accurate thermometer for this thing. <laughs> uh, so Yuega texts over he's like ah you know he's he's very nervous so he's like uh texting ogata like where are you you're super late is everything okay maybe this text message carries a different connotation in japanese because ogata gets a text message that says you're super late i think that everything would have worked okay i think that if it would have worked better if he had sexted you're being very slow today. You're slow to get here. You're behind like today or something. Like yeah. That. Is, every, is everything all right? Behind is perfect. Because yeah. she says, he's right. I haven't solved a single problem today in response to you're super late. Are you okay? So she's like, oh, man. You know, he's texting, my, texting me while this is happening. What's going on with that? And she remembers a conversation she had with the salon hostess who's like, you're so enchanting right now, the boy might initially first push you away, but that's all good. That's all part of it. So she texts back like, no, everything's good. This is a very good sign. There's absolutely no problem. And then they're they're dealing with a question from the book that regards this particular phrase of, uh, I don't have my glasses, and how, did thus, how didst thus attain such a beauteous countenance? Milady. How didst thou attain such a beauteous countenance, milady? There you go. And dealing with that... Don't say that person. in real life, guys. Yes, because you'll sound dorky. Not Just unless you are specifically a... Shakespearean actor. Yeah. Instead, we like... You are be. <laughs> you're as lovely as... Your, your light signs as bright as the sun, milady. Then you tip your fedora... <laughs> Thusly, and uh, she'll presumably it has to be in be that so specific smooth. direction. Yes. Make sure you're always going south to southwest with your hat, with your fedora tipping. Otherwise, you're, you're fucking the whole thing up. Uh, so this quote basically is just kind of like a element of this chapter. She's asking him for like grammar reasons, and he just thinks she's just some random stranger who walked up to him and is having trouble with a problem. So he's just trying to be helpful. And he makes a mention of like, oh, you know, your response to a problem reminded me of a girl I know. So she gets really into it. She's like, oh, well, what's this woman you know? So he starts explaining Ogata and his opinions of Ogata to this girl. And he, you know, specifically mentions how she's so curious and sometimes kind of clueless. And she started showing all these unique facial expressions. And she is just so cute that I can't leave her alone. And she starts like, having her heartbreak because she doesn't realize he's talking about her. And then he's like, she's kind of like a squirrel. <laughs> and she's like, oh, good. He's an asshole to this girl. I feel relieved now. There's still a chance for me. <laughs> uh, she then goes with the main sort of like, you know, big punch that this this salon has told him of asking, how do I strike you today? And he's just like, I don't know what you mean. I'm scared. She's like really harassing. She's like, how do I strike you today? How do I strike you today? 
I like the sound effect for when she first leans in towards him, which is scoot. <laughs> scoot. And uh, I just like his like fear. He's like getting hit on by a girl is way scarier than I thought. <laughs> so they're heading home because the library's closing. I guess at 3 p.m. on a weekday or whatever it is. It seems like it's still very bright out. But uh, he's like, oh, man, I'm beat. And she's walking home with me. And Ogata never showed up. What's up? So Ogata's like, I have to go for the absolute 100% knockout blow. Would you care to stop by my place? And I love you, Uiga, because he's like, what? You should have more respect for yourself if you go out inviting guys all over the place. Imagine how your parents would feel. In fact, I am going home to your place so I can have a talk with your parents about how wanton and wild you are about inviting guys to your place. You're like, what? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you ego. <laughs> what? What a response is this to be like, you shouldn't invite men back to your place as much. In response, I'm going to go back to your place and complain to your parents about the way you're reacting. <laughs> and I'm you, like, shouldn't show, you shouldn't show so much skin in your videos. <laughs> I'm going to show up at your place and help you dress for your next video. I, I get where he's coming from. And it, it works to get him to the point that he needs to get to. Which is to be at the fucking Ogata restaurant so he learns the situation. But it's such a strange, like, circle of logic. He's like, you have more respect for yourself. Imagine what your parents will say. No, no, I don't need to. Because I'm going to go to your place and talk to your parents and see exactly how they feel. Come along. It's just like, what? Is Uega, like, a helpful person? Or is he, like, the FCC? Like, he's, like, the moral jurisdiction. He's, like, a nun at a high school dance. He's just like, whoa, 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 leave some room for Jesus. Uh, It ends with, uh, obviously, him being at Ogata's restaurant and realizing it's Ogata. And, uh, he just has the... he, He, like, throws out the, you know, how did Sus contain or attain such a beauteous whatever... And uh, that's basically it. It's one of those jokes that maybe is more of a Japanese kind of joke sort of thing. I think that it's I think that the point of it is that he sees her, you know, in her, uh, you know, Udon uniform, but she's still got the contacts and the hair extensions, So she still looks pretty. So then he gets embarrassed and he's like, how does that seem such a beautiful countenance? And then Ogata just completely misses the whole point of what of the fact that he's saying, like, you look cute today, Ogata. But just like, oh, you're quoting that poem. <laughs> and I think at the end joke of it being that her dad's just like, why are you calling it by his first name? Yeah. So there you go. It was honestly like if probably the best Ogata chapter we've gotten in a while. It's a um, fine Ogata chapter. It's yeah. very cool. And I do like it for the element of like, you know, treat yourself, take care of yourself, have mm-hmm. confidence in your new thing. It's a good attitude to have in life in general, you know, and it, it is a little adorable seeing her get like initially, excuse me, very nervous when he's talking about when she thinks he's talking about another girl. And how enamored he is with her. And she starts having this like look of almost devastation on her face. But then he like mentions she's like cute like a squirrel. And he's like, 
she's very relieved. It's a very innocent sort of thing and pushed forward that romance. And there's just like adorable moments like when she like shoves her face like close to him and just scoot and she's like, How do I strike you today? <laughs> uh you know, it has funny moments like that. It's just another one of those chapters where there's moments of like Uwega or somebody's circular logic to get to the end point where you're just like, there's a lot of contrivances at some points here. Oh boy. I think it's best if I have a talk with your parents. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on ahead to the promised Neverland. Chapter 81. Defend to the death. So at the end of the last chapter, uh, Giselle, Jillian, rather. Jillian is her name. Jillian. And the World War I flying ace, um, Nigel. Uh, they realized that Bayon was off by himself instead of being preoccupied with Zack and Pepe. And they're like, what, what the hell? What happened to them? And so Nigel imagines them getting gored at the same time. Um, it's worth noting, specifically... To people who have, I think, been very confused about this, this is a vision Nigel was having. This is not what actually happened necessarily. Mm-hmm. So these two characters may not be dead because I've heard some people mm-hmm. being like, "Why did two characters of color die in one shot? Like, <laughs> like they didn't even get to do anything." And it's just Wait, like, first, hang on a second. Like, yeah, first crone, then these two. What the fuck? <laughs> Yo, is there something going on with this series that they need to just start being upfront about? <laughs> Hey, those two unimportant white kids died, too. Come on. <laughs> yeah, fuck those kids. The first girl to die in this series was a white girl, for that matter. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, Nigel is in denial that this actually happened. But he also sees the blood on Bayon's weapon, which leads me to believe that it may be possible that uh, Bayon might have killed his minions or stabbed them, at the very least, in order to get them to do something. So, I mean, we'll find we'll we'll find out, obviously, eventually Um, to give an idea of why Nigel is so in denial over this. We get a lot of uh, backstory about uh, Zach, Uh, just like we got all that backstory about how devastating it would be if Sasakibe had died. Which but I do not think he's actually dead. So there's that at least. But basically, they the whole the thing that you need to know about Zag is that he's one of the older members of the group, and he's actually very, very capable. He knows how to treat injuries, and he's actually always getting injured himself because he's putting him he would put himself in danger so that other people could escape to safety. There's a, there's actually a very weird, gross little bit of humor in one of the flashback panels where he's like, "Oh, I guess it was broken." He just holds up his hand, and his his entire hand is hanging loosely from just below the wrist. Off with the rest of his arm. Lovely. YouTube Sid Vicious like. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's gross as fuck. Um, but, uh, you know, Nigel's like, oh, Zach is skilled. He's just as skilled as Oliver is. Uh, but he actually volunteered to be the one to uh, handle Bayon. Uh, pointing out that, you know, hey, this guy's the second strongest after Luvis. He's going to be a real problem, so I'll take him. Uh, and then they were like, Pepe, you can back him up! Oh, that yeah. backstory for Pepe. And everyone remembers Pepe. 
No need to say more about him. <laughs> <laughs> His reputation speaks for itself. <laughs> when you hear the name Pepe, you know what you're getting. <laughs> so Nigel is like, he's got to be all right. They're going to be okay. Uh, but then, he, but he looks at Bayon again. He's like, so what the fuck is he doing here? What's going on? Uh, but he realizes, all right, this is altering the plan, though. He's over here, so we've got to do something. Oh, I've got to stop Bayon here. Uh, because if he meets up with Luvis and Nusa Numa, because they don't know that Numa is actually dead, uh, then they'll team up and our entire plan will be ruined. Uh, so, well, we're going to be screwed if that happens. We can't let it happen. So he has to sell down and then think about what he's going to do next. Uh, he realizes that they've got to be able to stop Bayon right here alone. But the thing is, they don't have the special bullets for the gun. They don't have time really to go and get to go and get them. Uh, for all they know, when uh, that you know, uh, Bayon might have actually met up with Zach and Pepe and destroyed the gun in the shells uh, when he found them. So they're going to have to find a way to do it without their special gun. How? Uh, okay. And he comes to a decision and he says, "Hey, Jillian, okay, let's split up. I'll stop Bayon here. You have to go where Zach is. Confirm what's going on with them with the gun. And if the gun's okay, get it to Oliver." And so he's directing traffic at this point. But Jillian realizes the problem with this plan, which is I need to get the gun, but I also need to report to Oliver about the divergence in our plan and give him accurate information because Oliver and Emma are waiting for it, not knowing anything has gone wrong. But then she realizes, hey, how are you going to stop Bayon alone? And I was like, I have a plan. So go. And then he immediately like turns around the corner to look at to look at Bayon again. And he's like, "I don't actually have a plan." <laughs> he's like, "It's Just like immediately afterwards, I have a plan. I don't have a plan." <laughs> <laughs> um, but so he just decides there's got to be some way that there there is. But I have to, you know, go into this understanding that I might not have a way of stopping him if I don't, you know go in knowing that there's a way that I can die. If I don't go in possibly willing to die, then I might not be able to succeed at this. It's always Zach who's restless and we've relied on him to be that way too many times. So now it's my turn to be reckless. And Jillian realizes what he's going to do. Probably because he's going like, (laughs) while he's pumping himself up this whole time. You're going to go do a suicide run. You motherfucker. (laughs) He's hulking up. like. Oh, oh, I've had a good life. I've had a good life. I've had a good life. Are you going to go kill yourself? No! (laughs) She's like, are you going to do something crazy? He's like, no, I'm just turning on Good Riddance by Green Day for unrelated reasons. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know that song. Yes, you do. We don't. Time of your life, Nick. It's the song's actually called. That's that song? Yeah, it's called Good Riddance, parentheses, time of your life. Why would you call it good riddance? <laughs> I don't know, because they're Green Day. They're It's a breakup probably, song, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. It probably Why does everyone use that song for personal tragedies then? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So um Nigel is set to do something unpredictable that in the end is right. Uh he's like, all right, one, two, three. And Jillian rushes up from behind the tree. And he's like, what the fuck is she doing? And she blows this whistle to signal a bunch of people, which, of course, catches Bayon's attention because he's right up fucking there as well. But even off in the village, Emma and Luvis are able to hear it. And Jillian's like, sorry, Nigel, I can't ditch you here. I'm sick losing, losing friends. I blew the whistle in a way that wasn't planned. Oliver will recognize that something is off. 
Let's fight together. Stopping him without special bullets? You can't do that on your own. If you want to prioritize reporting to Oliver, then sorry, Nigel. You'd have to be the one to head over to Zack and Pepe. And she just rushes headlong towards uh, Bayon, who turns to me- to meet her. I will say, I know that we were complaining in previous chapters, like, who are these just random fucking kids that we barely know going after these demons and getting these special chapters dedicated to them? The fact that Nigel and Jillian got this focus after their previous encounter, though, did help because we know at least that much about them from the stuff that we learned during that encounter. So this was more impactful than the previous encounters that we've seen uh, up to this point for me. I mean, it helps at least that I know who Jillian is a little bit to this point, but this is still just really difficult to care a whole lot about. I don't know who Zach is or Zeke. Is it Zeke? No, Zach. I don't know. He's Zach great, is. Chris. He's yeah. so Zach's reckless. So cool. Always he's... getting injured, but helping people with their injuries. He's such a great guy, that Zach. I hope he's okay. And Pepe, they give nothing about. Pepe, nothing just like, at all. Just fuck Pepe, I guess. And I don't know. I part of me kind of hopes that the twist of this is something that maybe would irk people, but that this was all part of some elaborate method Zack needed to do to get the kill because I, I I started to kind of see the way this was maybe going. I was kind of getting into it that the promised Neverland in the end seems to be a series that puts the stress and drama as though as a series that could go either way. And every time favors the heroes in the end, like, you know, you look at it, you're like, Oh, when it comes right down to it, like, they just completely schooled mop, you know, Norman's not dead. The kids escaped except for like the youngest ones. Like it was an ultimate victory by the kids. Cause they knew what was happening. Kind of like they had a plan beyond a plan, beyond a plan that got them to that point. And I thought that maybe was going to be what happened here. They put up some, you know, danger, like, Oh, the kids are completely hosed, but no, turns out this was all part of their plan. They really like, they're really out thinking these demons, and things like that. And, you know, it's just going to kind of be whatever happens with uh, Lasuvius or whatever. But I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just kind of sitting here wondering if this is meant to really be like these, you know, the plan's gone awry. Who knows what's going to happen with these kids? And I'm just like, I just I don't care just because we don't have time enough with these kids to really form a connection with them. Like there should have been at least one adventure after Norm or Emma came to the base and everything where the, another hunt happened and we got to see Emma have to interact with these kids to help protect like, you know, newbie kids for like one week or so. And then, you know, come back and be like, okay, now this plan has to go and we have some stakes to kind of hold. Cause that is now I'm just like, I mean, I kind of like Jillian, but like, I didn't know she had like this sort of almost like bloodlust in this chapter the same way. Like this seems to be almost out of left field. I know nothing about Nigel beyond the fact now I know his name's Nigel. I've been given an Australian accent the entire time if I knew that. Uh, and just like, you know, Zach and Pepe, who the fuck are they? I don't know. They're two characters who supposedly died last week. I don't know nor really particularly care about them. So it's just this point where the drama all surrounding the promised Neverland right now is just one that really doesn't hit home. I totally get that. It's not necessarily saying it's bad or anything. Just saying it doesn't hit as hard as some chapters previously were. Yeah. 
Well, Chris. Let's move along then. Move along, move along like you always do. To the Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 261, Lost Cat. So last time, Mion Piet sacrificed himself to save Dereire. And that's where this chapter basically opens up. Uh, his heart is literally crushed like a Mortal Kombat victory. Like, fucking Esterosa just squishes it in his hands. Like, uh, and then he goes to basically... Fortunately, to- my body doesn't go into shock. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to kind of do something. I, th- I think he... I think... I guess he pushes her away because... He seems Est- to launch her off into the sky. Yeah, he, he launches her away because Esterosa does like a fire explosion thing, which basically will take out um, Mon Piet. And as she's I think going it's the away, other way around. I think the Mon Piet latches onto him so that he can point blank Inferno him. Okay. I thought, I thought it would be the other way around. Cause that's what I thought Esterosa did last week. Well, but, it did. It is. But they also established uh, that Mon Piet is basically immune to that shit because his, his is so powerful. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's right. That's right. So this is his, you know, suicide attack. Okay. So he launches her away, and she's like, hey, you didn't tell me what's been hiding in your heart all this time. And he's like, sorry, I came Get the fucking hint. Read between the lines. Yeah, he's like, you know, maybe something, feelings for you. I don't know, I'm dead. He dies. <laughs> he's like, I don't, I can't protect you, and I'm not going to be with you anymore. So I'm not telling. And then he dies in this big explosion. We cut away to where the seven deadly sins and the holy knights are having this big battle against the demons. And uh, there's a, a moment there where Chief Holy Knight Hauser kind of makes a bold statement. He's like, make sure we're, you know, frescuing people under attack by demons, avoid finding towns and villages to keep damage to a minimum. And we see like Gilia's like smiling and then Diane's like, wow, like a real chief holy knight. I'm just kind of discussing how Hauser's really sort of grown and become a much more responsible person. And uh, then uh, he comments, he's like, death pierce. <laughs> Holy Knight Death Pierce! You're, 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 I thought you were seriously injured. He's like, of course not. I was blessed with the holy breath, and as such, I cannot be hurt. I am indestructible because I of her holy blessing. And I love it because, like, Diane floats down and it's just like, the breath of blessing is all a spell called Cheat Hope. It just relieves you of any, like, fear or inhibition that would keep you from just basically being afraid of pain and death. You know, so you'll keep fighting till you die. And he's like, preposterous. How disrespectful. How would you know? She's like, I mean, I'm Elizabeth, but whatever. And he's like, well, then how would I? How would I? Don't acknowledge me with respect as your princess or nothing. Fine. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, how is it possible that we've been healed? And they're like, well, that's because throughout the entire fight, Elizabeth's been healing all of us. Like, she's been healing everybody the entire time. And this is confirmed by the other archangels who are like, yeah, the breath of blessing doesn't heal wounds. It just makes you fight to death. Like, that's it. <laughs> Elizabeth's been saving everybody. And like, Death Pierce's like, well, fuck me then. <laughs> no one told me this. <laughs> this is really scary, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> what the fuck? This blessing sucks. They also actually established, though, that one of the things Elizabeth was doing was calling out the minds of the demons, telling them, we don't want pointless fighting. And uh, normally this would be impossible to actually work because, you know, they've been commanded by Cusack and Chandler to keep on fighting. 
But some of them actually stopped fighting and uh, ran. Yeah. So, indication of how powerful her influence is. And uh, they comment a lot about what Elizabeth's really kind of doing here. You know, we get a moment where Hawk's just like, wow, she's probably so reliable now. I almost miss the old her. The blundering Elizabeth from when we first met is no more. And it is nice to see that. She's, uh, you know, she really has become a much more adult person now. Much I love the point person. that because, you know, she dramatically walks away as Hawk is saying that. And then she trips and falls on her face. And he's like, oh, there she is. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, she's, like, getting helped up, and she's just like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what's his name? Gowther. That's it. Sorry. Gowther kind of, like, lets everybody know. He's like, hey, I'm picking up an enormous signal approaching. It's it's one of the Ten Commandments. And uh, Hauser's like, everybody, assume Red Rose. Uh, but he's like, it's only one of them, so we got to be prepared. And we see uh, everybody's kind of crowded around in some big formation when the person who arrived is no other than DeRay Ray, looking crestfallen and broken. So, looks And like wearing it. less clothes. She was, losing, she was wearing a lot less clothes uh, throughout the last couple chapters, so it makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so it looks like she's shown up. She is devastated by the death of Montpiette. I wonder what will happen there. Uh, will she just try to offer up her commandment here to try to get it away and, you know, live on and fight? Will she fight with the heroes? Will she be so in shock that she'll fight against them? Who knows? I do like the character development that we've seen in this chapter, the character, the growth uh, demonstrated. You know, it's... Elizabeth hasn't exactly had a didn't exactly have a gradual growth up before she took command of this of the seven sins, but I do really like to see you know just how far she's come. You know, she was basically little more than uh, you know sex appeal and comic oh, yeah. relief and damsel in distress at the beginning, and now she's like, hey, taking command and help saving lives. So I also like the kind of juxtaposition they show between her and the archangels. So, like, in magic, there's a lot of philosophy to Magic the Gathering and the different colors, and, you know, white is considered yeah. by some to be, like, the good color, but it's also just a color of kind of rules and, like, the loss of individualism in that it's all about the greater good. So we're seeing these angels who are, literally, they cast a spell on you that's like, fight to the death! That's it. It's not actually about saving Come on, guys, you. you've got first strike. Yeah, come on. It's the best thing. Who cares if you die afterwards? You have flying. What else is flying? Nothing. You're good. Uh, yeah, except for, like, almost everything in a blue deck. But come on, guys. That's <laughs> fine. But then we see, in contrast, Elizabeth, who is actively healing everybody and trying to protect them and make sure as many of them survive as possible. You're just like, oh... It really does go to show why That's Elizabeth... also white magic, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my but Elizabeth... also black magic. <laughs> Elizabeth is a... Oh, shit. What's the black-white guild's name? Hezzau or something know. like that? They're a weird one. I've been learning a lot well, about yeah, the various... they're not complementing elements. It would be white-green and white-blue if you want complementing. Well, there's guilds of all the different color combinations in mm -hmm. magic, and it's cool seeing the different, like, philosophies they have to... The white-black one's basically just a cult that brings people in in, like, the fear of something greater coming. Regardless, uh, I'm getting off topic. I'll save that for my new Magic the Gathering podcast. <sighs> What's that? What do I gotta call it? Uh, 
mana flooded shit draw mulligan still didn't work i guess i'll take six uh i like (laughs) it's not a great catchy podcast name but it's my life Uh, i just like what uh we saw between how elizabeth actually functions in comparison to what you know the the angels are shown to be doing i definitely dig that Mm. yeah i agree speaking of different types of magic Black Clover, page 151, Overwhelming Disadvantage. Uh, this is pretty much uh, just just a continuation of the sequence that was happening in the last chapter with, you know, the possessed real bursting through the wall with this weird Hydra eel thing. Um, he is introduced as Lyra, uh, is the possessing elf's name, who basically looks like an elf real, so I hate him too. I hate Rill so much, Nick. I hate him so much. And it I thought maybe, maybe there'd be a point that because Rill got possessed, that maybe I could dig him because the character would act a little bit differently. No, he's but just as annoying. There's literally a moment when like dust gets kicked up and he's like, ah, I can't see. And you're like, I he acts exactly like Rill does. Fuck. First thing that you see him do after he bursts through the wall is he grabs, he just glomps Raya. It's like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> God damn this kid. Um, it seems that this chapter was a bit behind uh, because Tabata had to just, you know, sketch out uh, some of the pages. Um, there's, you know, background missing and the characters aren't dinged in and stuff. But in fairness to him, he always does make sure to just do, you know, the less important panels uh, with this stuff. So, you know, things do flow pretty, pretty well anyway. And then there's all the detail and stuff on the big spells and action sequences and stuff. So yeah. and when this it's gets noticeable, but it's not distracting. Yeah. And remember, guys, when this gets actually put into volumes, it'll be picked, you know, it'll be cleaned up and it'll be official. And, you know, I, I always hate it when I see somebody who says, see something like this, like, Purse is just lazy and couldn't finish it. And it's like, no, the the demand schedule of the manga is, is pretty fucking ridi- ridiculous. Good yeah. luck working 18 hours a day with it and you see what you, you do. Dude. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. Give him a break. It's, it's a very, very tough job to do on a consistently big time crunch. Mm-hmm. I do like that each of the four heads of the Lindworm uh, shoots a different elemental attack. That's a cool little detail. And uh, it looks cool when they shoot them all. Yes. Um, so Asta is like, what are you doing, Real? And, and Zora's like, you an idiot is fucking controlled by an enemy spell or something. So obviously they have to do something about that. Um, fortunately... You've activated his trap card because he wasn't actually just standing around watching Mary Leona do all the work and doing nothing. He was setting a bunch of traps all around the area while Raya was distracted. And so all of them go off and shoot this basically the equivalent of a smoke screen everywhere, blinding Raya and uh, I can't see. I can't see. I fucking kill him. Kill him. Somebody kill him. Kill him now. (laughs) They're like, we can save everybody except for real. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you ever watch uh you didn't watch angry beavers a lot did you no i did not at all. Oh, there's one episode that's always one of my favorite 
there was a joke that Daggett had like a long standing hatred of like this mouse trucker called Trucky, I think was his name. And then this episode shows up where like they think there's alien monsters outside that are eating everybody, like all the different animals. So like Daggett goes to the window and he sees these like worms like up against the window. He's like, no, Barry, Tricky. Yes, Trucky. <laughs> like he sees Trucky. He's like, yes. <laughs> I don't know why that's just like it's one of like the best slides to me. I'm just like, no, my friends, Chucky, yes. <laughs> he's just happy that someone's gonna get devoured by worms. <laughs> he's, he hates Chucky so much. He's so happy he's gonna die, <laughs> or that he's been killed in their mind. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, in addition to uh, not being able to see, Rye also says that they're pr- uh, briefly paralyzed. Although he says paralysis on this level does almost nothing to us. But in that brief opening, Asta is able to uh, launch himself forward. And uh, they can't even use their mana detection in order to see him coming because he has no magic, of course. So he breaks through, slashes apart the lindworm. And uh, uh, Lyra is not able to get away before Asta slashes him and manages to graze his chest. Um, And... So he's like, all right, I got him. I, I hit him. So that should break the spell. And he was like, Ow! why did you do that? I hate Will so much. Yeah. So Zora's like, well, shit, even anti-magic didn't break this. Now, that is what actually that's not what actually stopped Fauna, is it? Like, because Mars had to be all like, I totes platonically love you didn't he i forget what they actually did in order to break fauna out of her possession curse thing uh i thought that his attack weakened the magic on it it Mm. basically took a combination of both i thought but this one had literally no effect on him at all so indicates that the possession is more complete than the third eye thing was uh, and Raya says that, yeah, this isn't simple magic. It's a reincarnation spell that brings the souls of elves to dwell in human bodies. The ritual that summons the souls is complete. These bodies are ours now. So possibly the thing that uh, Misha was doing before was an incomplete version of this. Very likely. At that moment, however, uh, Asta is obviously really pissed off about this, but three more possessed people show up and they're like, well, shit. Um, and Zora's immediately like Benjamin Benfunk, including Benjamin Benfunk. Yes. So Zora's like, we got to run. And that's just like, no. And Zora says, we literally can't do anything about this. We don't have a way of saving them. We've got to retreat and come up with an actual plan. You stupid asshole. And that's just like, you're right. Damn it. Stupid jerk. And Zora also actually mumbles to himself, like, and anyway, we both know you can't kill your comrades. And Raya's like, neither can you, you pansy. You know that about Zora. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's an asshole. Maybe he's a fucking murderous psychopath. You don't know. Yeah. So everyone closes in with a bunch of huge attacks. Uh, but at that moment, uh, Mariolina blasts a hole in the wall grabs Asta and Zora and chucks them through it and then blasts the hole shut. And she just tells him, go on home, you idiots, and starts to deflect the attacks that the five possessed people are launching towards her. And uh, 
So Raya's like, oh, you're going to, you know, let let keep us all occupied while they run away, huh? You're pretty nice, aren't you? And Mariliona says, nah, they were just in my way. I'm going to kill all of you. Which normally I'd be like, oh, fuck off, Mariliona. Stop trying to be all fucking ba- super badass. But then I was just like, but if she kills them all, she'll kill real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Which, of course, means she's going to completely fail because... Well, here's the thing. I thought it was kind of interesting because this, this feels very much like a big sacrifice moment. You guys go. I'll hold them off. Uh, fly, you fools, Gandalf kind of moment. But I thought it was interesting. I was like, I feel like as an audience, or maybe it's just me, we're supposed to have a lot more of a negative interpretation of Mario Leona after these last couple chapters where she was the one who was like, kill him, break his face, murder him, murder him, murder him, murder him. And then had to be like, asked, was like, why don't we try talking this out? Like, <laughs> why can't we be friends? Yeah. <laughs> like, she was just like, I'm going to break his fucking face. We had that a couple times now. So I, I thought it was sort of interesting because it's like. You put her on sort of like the down state. Like in my mind, I'm like, oh, her stock's dropping. Now it's the time to sell, sell, sell. And it's like, no, bye, bye, bye. Big moment. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I I like what this arc is definitely setting itself up for. I think I'd really be like sold completely if they were actually going so far as to be like, oh, they kill a character like that. Maybe they won't kill her. Maybe, maybe they beat her and, you know. Totally her clients like got will have just been through all the shit as she dies <laughs> they'd be pretty fucked but then there's also well, Leo, the young so. comes back like how has my sister been doing well she's dead <laughs> about that <laughs> so good news we don't have to use the coffin we got for you <laughs> bad news and it'll be extra roomy for your sister <laughs> yeah <laughs> They were going to bury them in the same coffin. <laughs> oh, I'm saying that he's way bigger than she is because he's a giant monster guy. I love the notion that they were going to bury them in the same coffin, though. They're like, I mean, you're both going in the ground. Why don't we let's save ourselves some bucks here? His times are tough in the Clover Kingdom. <laughs> Our king's dead, for fuck's sake. Turns out that monarchies aren't economically aren't economically stable. <laughs> Turns out, like you're both dead. It's not incest, then. It's not anything weird. You're just lumped together in a casket together and be buried. You're fine. <laughs> Stop bitching. All right. Let's finish things up with One Piece chapter nine hundred, which did not go the way that I thought it would. I have a very big problem with this, Nick. Ooh. This cover page. Laboon's right there, and Brooke doesn't see him! Just look over, Brooke! Laboon's right there! Luffy's pulling him up! Distracted, Chris. It's okay. But it's Brooke! He doesn't see him there! He doesn't know! Distracted. I feel bad for Brooke. Laboon. You need him to get his Laboon peanuts. Brooke needs his Laboon. He's the oldest of the old men that you're familiar with, Chris. I know. All right. Chapter 900. Bad end musical. We kick off with Big Mom finally eating the the wedding cake. And everyone's freaking out over how is she going to react to all of this. And as uh, Lin Lin is being carried off, she looks over and sees Big Mom swallowing the cake, flashes back to uh, some of the prep work that they were doing with Sanji. Um... 
And for example, uh, him doing a crucial step, uh, which would normally take all night and doing it in two hours instead because he's Sanji. Uh, but more importantly, uh, he's got this silly grin on his face at one point and she's like, come on, take this seriously. And he's like, hey, 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 I couldn't help it. I was just imagining Big Mom's face when she tastes how delicious this is. And, you know, from this, you know, of course, uh, she was like, hey, that guy's a real chef. Everything's going to be fine. So they watch her. And Big Mom's eyes kind of Big Mom's eyes go doom. And then she flops over on her back and immediately Prospero's like, was it poison? But she gets up and she makes a face. That is a happy face. I don't I don't know how to describe it otherwise. It's a very happy face. That's a face we all hope we could have one day at some point in time. I don't know if I want it to be because of cake. I feel like that would be a sad commentary about that. But I'm like, this is the happiest I've ever been with this cake. But just a moment when you're that happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Big Mom starts to dig in, eating it and eating it and eating it and eating it and eating it. Uh, she mentions that she finds it familiar. It's something about it. She knows it from somewhere, but it's so delicious and she can't stop eating. Uh, Prospero, of course, reports to everyone, like, hey, there's no further damage, no, no, no further danger. So thanks to thanks to pudding, Mama's hunger has been a has been abated. So everyone's like, all right, yay, we're not going to die. Uh, and of course, pudding is thinking to herself as she's just kind of crouching on a pier i think somewhere it's like it, it wasn't me who did it so it wasn't me do, 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 do. stop it no more no more song references today. no i can't do any shit done like five different ones i'll just it's fine i'll just i'll tease them out at the end we cut to out at sea shit's happening um, it looks as though the Sun Pirates have managed to clear a path for the Thousand Sunny to sail through. Their, their, their escape seems to be ready for them. They're like, yes, we can do it. Um, and uh, Jinbei, by this point, has realized what's gone on. He's like, oh, they stole all the locational information. They've been actually helping us out from the shadows this whole time. And then Oven comes out of the mirror portal. And uh, they're like, oh, is everything okay now? He's like, well... Things are getting better, and Brule just helped ferry all of the ammunition that is designed to work on Germa. But I won't rest until I've dealt with the boy who defeated Katakuri. And everyone's like, okay, guys, yeah, thank you. good luck, everyone. It's all going to be cool. And everyone's like, out of my way, fish! <laughs> it great if they, like, they, like, they were already singing, like, we are. They're like, da-da-da-da-da-da, all our hopes and dreams. <laughs> it is... <laughs> Harrowing to see Wabatsumi's <laughs> entire fucking head on fire floating in the water. <laughs> it's like the one dude still playing. He's just like, kind of like the heat. Da 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 da. Put this away. Oh, sea water's boiling. That's not supposed to happen. Oh well. <laughs> just like the assholes from fucking dance. <laughs> um. So basically, everything immediately starts going to shit while Big Mom celebrates all this delicious fucking cake that she's eating. You even get a shot of it going down her uvula, which is weird. Um, actually, that's a weird shot. That's like a forest with like 
tombstones in it. Yeah, because it's her pet flavor cemetery. It gets dead puppies dancing merry. I'm trying to zoom in on this shit. Hang on. It's a very, it's a very silly song. That's a weird fucking visual. Uh, just a mouth surrounding a fucking cemetery. Yeah. And yeah, it's like my pet flavor cemetery and, and everything is celebrating with her. Freaking. I think that even the ship, the, yeah, you know, the, the ship talks ship singing too. And uh, you know, all of her, you know, soul possessed things are singing along with her and repeating after her. It's like, it's sweet. It's sweet and milky and milky. And while all this is going on, she's singing to herself and every, and just she's so happy to have her cake. Everyone's dying. I mean, it's one piece death, so you so probably almost everyone's okay. But they bring out the freaking gun with the ammunition, blast away Sanji's siblings with it. Meanwhile, all the Sun Pirates have had to retreat or, or, or have been knocked out of commission, so the path is clear for all of Big Mom's forces to attack to attack the Straw Hats. The Germa ship is being bombarded. Uh, meanwhile, everyone is just on the cells and Sunny is just like, oh shit! And the giant chippy ship blasts apart the fucking Thousand Sunny. And it goes down a fucking fireball. And the, uh, the Straw Hats, Jolly Roger, uh, is left in a rag floating in the water. Chapter 900! <laughs> Man, that was not how I expected Chapter 900 to go. Really felt like no. it was going to be like, Hey guys, Chapter 900, Jim Bay joins the crew. We're sailing off to new adventures. Fa- Farewell, f- Full Cake Island. Catch you See later! You never. <laughs> Instead, or Whole Cake Island, rather. Instead, it's like, oh, this sadistic, like, musical number that Big Mom sings as she systematically wins every essential battle around her in the most terrifying fashion. And she doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah, she's just delightfully singing about this tasty cake with a song that just happens to be very reminiscent of everything that's happening here. Mm. I mean, this is an effective chapter beyond words. Like, this is just, like... I, I don't think the Straw Hats are dead. They're not. I don't think the well, ship's why would, destroyed. Why, how, how would they be dead? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's just that notion of just like, I know things look really bad here. And I'm sure there's some other kind of like twist to come in to carry them all out of here. I'm sure if I thought long and hard about it, I could probably come up with one. I'm not really in the interest of doing that per se. But I mean, I am definitely super intrigued. Like, I just, I love it when you give the villain a chance to shine. And this is a chapter that helped to like reestablish what makes big mom. So terrifying is just the amount of power they have, like the, that she has and how childishly whimsical she could be about it. It really is like you gave all the power in the world to a six year old with a temper tantrum who just is going to sing delightfully about her, her cake and milk and sweets as her entire family just blows all of the heroes apart. Yeah. Um, I do have to wonder how some of the support that the Straw Hats got, how they're going to turn out from all this. I mean, Peckham's was still getting mobbed when Sanji and Luffy ran away, even before all this stuff happened. There's the Sun Pirates to consider. There's the Germa. 
because they were, you know, all fighting on the on the island when Sunday and everyone was trying to get away. Uh, what shape is this? Is the Thousand Sunny in for that matter? Is Franklin going to just have to make them another ship? Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I can't imagine that would be the case. Because they they really like this is Frankie's dream. Frankie's dream was to build a ship that makes it to the end of the world. And that was the Thousand Sunny. So mm-hmm. if the Thousand Sunny is destroyed. That's Frankie's dream dying right there. I mean, you could build so, another ship theoretically, but yeah, I mean, who knows? The only thing that I can imagine is maybe somehow the fishmen are able to just kind of grab everyone and put them away somewhere. Uh, well, who knows? We're going to have to wait a couple of weeks to to find out, though, um, because God, what a well-placed break to go on. Odo knows how to do this shit. He knows how to fucking leave this shit here for a while. And see you guys in two weeks. Yeah, there's a ton of ways for it to go down, but this is one of those like this is one of those chapters that I'm like, this episode of the anime is gonna be fucking phenomenal. Because when you animate this and you have a great song playing over this music and you just leave it on that note of the Straw Hats burning charred flag in the ocean with this like dreary musical coming to an end, it's gonna be so effective. I love that shit. All right. That is going to do it, everyone. We will check you out next week. Hey, uh, one, hey, name well, our favorites. Uh, yeah, there we go. Favorites. Favorites. Um, yes. I'm going to go with One Piece. my favorite chapter this week. Totally understandable. I went with Dr. Stone. I just Whoa. thought it was... Yeah. I enjoyed myself more reading it. Honestly, no, I, I, got enjoyed to, it totally. I got to the point with the big mom stuff, and I was just kind of like... I my, I really like the visuals, but honestly, I don't think that the that the, you know contrast of big mom happily singing while everyone gets slaughtered and stuff it doesn't really do it for me yeah i wasn't as in i wasn't as glued to the page as i was with dr stone so yeah i totally get that favorite Um, character i'm gonna give it to chrome i like chrome getting a moment to shine there i think it's really important to kind of have for that character and uh, I gave it to uh, Elizabeth from Seven Deadly Sins. That's another really good choice, yeah. That was a good one. It's going to do it now, guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on twitch.tv slash reality and smashcast.tv slash reality. We record the show normally currently Thursdays at around 7, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're, for updates, in case we need to record a different time, if something goes wrong, for example, you can follow us on Twitter. At Dave Mauer Podcast is the official podcast account, and your hosts are at reality and at Nick F. Time. You can also check out our past episodes on weeklymagrecap.podbean.com as well as subscribe to us on YouTube and iTunes. If you check us out on either of those latter two, also be sure to leave a comment and rating so that you can help us to become kings of the hobby section and defeat our woodworking rivals. You can send feedback, ask questions, and suggest manga for us to read by sending all that stuff to our email, weeklymagrecap at yahoo.com is the best place to do that. Special thanks go out to all of our Patreon supporters. Your support allows to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We really appreciate all of the help. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, I want to give a special thanks to a couple new patrons. I have forgotten to do this for a couple weeks now, so I want to catch up on just a couple people. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to HM347, to PX1, and to Daniel Stashik. I want to thank all of you guys for your support. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping out Weekly Manga Recap and being super good bros. 
or gals. I don't know. I need to find out the gender neutral term peeps. for that. Peeps. <laughs> Thanks for being great peeps. I'm going to steal it right from Christian. It's time for the peep show, everybody. And a special thanks as well to Infamous Planet and to Steve Mann, who has his own Patreon that you can check out his stuff on. Thank you, guys. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah. Do we have uh, anything we want to go out on? Or do you want me to just do it my way, Nick? It's my way. My way. The highway. Yeah, I'm gonna give my best shot. It's my way. It's my way. My way. The highway. That song sounds way, way whinier than it did back then. I listen. I listen to it now, and I'm like, is this just a song? One more I'm like, is this a song about staying up to your boss and telling him to eat shit? What a weird song.